Hello everyone, I'm Lydia. And I'm Sara. And this is Hitchcock Happy Hour's Spooky Season Special. Where for the entire month of October, we'll be discussing the evolution of horror by analyzing some of our favorite spooky movies. One autumnal cocktail at a time. Cheers! Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Hitchcock Happy Hour. I'm Lydia. And I'm Sara. And today we are covering the 1996 classic, Scream. We sure are. <laughs> um, Cue but, us screaming. <laughs> I know. That, no, that was before we started this call. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Um, but obviously, before we get into Lydia's deep dive of this movie, I'm really excited about I love this movie, by the way. I'm, I'm really it excited is, about it. I mean, when you're craving a craven, this is a good one. <laughs> But um yeah, what are we before we get into that, what are we uh drinking today? <laughs> well today we are having a fall spritz, which is compare and contrast to our last cocktail, which I am so interested to listen back to that one because I have to say by the end of the episode I literally could not feel my face. <laughs> oh yeah. I was um I was unwell, but in the best way possible. Yeah, I had some mad spins before I went to bed. But uh, this this cocktail will not be that. This is much easier, and it is not like ten types of rum mixed together. This is a fall <laughs> spritz. This is practically water compared to. I know. What we drank this last is week. like yeah. <laughs> this is this is for babies. No, um, it's <laughs> amaro, which. We've used before. We love it. It's amazing. You just mix it with a dry cider, and that's it. Two ingredients. <laughs> Nothing weird. <laughs> but as everyone will probably know by now, Lydia and I like to deviate from the recipe, so I think both of us did that a little bit. We did. I didn't do anything too crazy. I just garnished it with a sage instead of orange, because that's what I had. Yeah, that's <laughs> it totally felt, right. It felt autumnal. I did. An autumnal <laughs> herb, if you will. <laughs> we love an autumnal herb. Um... I also I also garnished with a cinnamon stick, because that's what I had, and I, I also didn't have any orange. But I used, I got this, like, fun, I don't remember the name of the cidery, but um, I, I got this fun pumpkin cider, so I was like, that's kind of, like, a fun, and it's good because it's super dry. Um, but yeah, I, all in all, this pumpkin, pumpkin, uh, cider with the Amaro is like, it's pretty tasty, actually. It's pretty good. I wouldn't say this is like the, my favorite drink that we've made, but I do appreciate like the simplicity of it. Agreed. But to me, I'd rather have that spiced one, the spiced cherry spritz over the fall spritz. And honestly, that's more my vibe. I, I like the spice cherry spritz. Like, I think that could definitely be a fall drink as well. Yeah. I think so too. And it's like a good, like like crowd drink oh, like yeah. it'd be like perfect for a group because it's really easy this i could see being similar like i think it could be good for like a dinner party or something but it's not my favorite it's kind of it, to me it tastes more cidery than anything else yeah I, yeah it's, it's definitely amaro in I don't know. it's it's pretty cider forward so yeah but it's you know it's all it's pretty good but um the more important thing is that we're here to talk about one of the best honestly just one of the best movies ever it is so good. So this one's going to be a little bit different in the structure of it. We'll kind of just talk through like, you know, the intro background. We'll do like a plot summary because there's a lot going on in this movie. Like it is a lot more intricate and they do a good job of kind of wrapping up these different storylines. But I wanted to talk about the real life crime that inspired this. Oh, there's a real life crime that inspired yeah. this. Yeah. There's a real life crime that was the inspiration. And then there were also some controversies that came out of this. So I wanted Ooh. to talk a little bit about that because I think that that could be kind of fun to analyze. Um, yeah, can't wait. So a little bit different than normal, but I'm like a big true crime fan. So I thought that'd be kind of a fun little sit, like little. I don't know, deviation. <laughs> I think so, too. I think it's also important when that stuff is so, like, obviously b- those two things, like the inspiration and then the kind of result and controversies from the movie are two things that are important surrounding the film. So I, I don't know anything about either of them. So I'm, oh, excited. I'm, I'm excited. excited to learn. <laughs> well, we'll just jump in because there's lots to cover. But um, so Scream is interesting because it's actually a satirical slasher film it's american directed by wes craven and written by kevin williamson it stars david arquette nev campbell courtney cox 
um, Matthew Lillard, Rose McGowan, Skeet Ulrich, and Drew Barrymore. So we definitely see a lot more star power in this one, which we'll talk a little bit about. Um, it was released on December 20th, and it follows the character of Sydney Prescott, um, who's a high school student in the fictional town of Woodsboro, California, who becomes the target of a mysterious killer in a Halloween costume known as Ghostface. Iconic, basically every like Halloween costume at the like spirit yep. of Halloween that you could imagine. <laughs> I mean, it's like the most iconic like look ever. It's very iconic, yeah. and we can talk a little bit about it. I didn't really put this in my script, but like they actually didn't think that it was that scary um, when they were filming it. So there is a lot of like back and forth about like should they use that mask? Like, was that did that have the effect they wanted? And ultimately, I'm glad that they did because it is such an iconic part of like yeah. the Halloween lexicon now. Absolutely. <laughs> and like literally screams Spencer's. <laughs> like it, all scre- it screams. <laughs> oh I get that because I never thought the mask itself was scary. It's obviously like everything surrounding that character that's scary and like the slasher element of it. But the mask, he just kind of looks like a ghost that's trying his best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he tried. I mean, I think to me it feels like perfectly in line with how it is kind of this satirical like impersonation of Halloween. You know what I mean? This movie is so meta. (laughs) It's so meta. This film is incredibly meta. And it's like, it's cool because it's really combining this like black comedy and like a whodunit mystery style um, with kind of the violence of the slasher genre. Um, which is super cool. And it's really just satirizing the cliches of horror films, um, popularized by films such as Halloween, Friday the 13th, and Craven's own A Nightmare on Elm Street, which we just talked about. Um, it's really unique in the way that the characters are aware of the real world horror films and they're openly kind of discussing the cliches that the the film is attempting to subvert. So, it's really cool in that sense. Again, it's like, it's just so fun to watch. Um, yeah, it is. It's really funny of watching like a Wes Craven basically making fun of his own movie. Yeah, it's, it's perfect. So yeah. It's perfect. And we'll talk about it, but like, it's it's just so clever the way that they do this movie. Very much so. Very and much this so. was actually the first like slasher film that I ever watched. Um, and it got me like interested in the genre because before I think I'd had like a very negative misconception which we can talk about kind of at the end when I talk about kind of the controversies around this film um but like it's such an enjoyable and campy and like fun film um that I just think if you're new to horror like this is such a great intro because it's not it's scary but it's not scary you know yeah I yeah I definitely wouldn't say it has the like darkness of like nightmare on elm street or something like that i agree or halloween it doesn't have that kind of heavy feeling to it which like the actions of 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 these slasher movies like what's happening and they're so over the top that yeah okay maybe they're not so scary but like the 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 metaphors and the things that they're trying to discuss like in halloween and friday the 13th can or um sorry nightmare on elm street can actually be pretty scary if you think about it. It's 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 a little bit more heavy in how the movie ends and things like that. This one is definitely like it's it's gory and it's violent and it's kind of spooky, but it's definitely like it has a lighter. There's a, definitely a lot more like you said like dark comedy in it yeah. than the other ones, which Even I love. Like the most intense scenes is very much kind of like punctuated with moments of pretty intense comedy where they are poking fun at the genre and kind of poking fun at like certain tropes um which again make it like entertaining to watch it's just an entertaining movie and the end is like a nice wrap-up it doesn't leave you like what the fuck is happening like nightmare on elm street like it's pretty clean and how it's packaged which you know i kind of appreciate (laughs) yeah me too definitely so the script was originally called scary movie (laughs) (laughs) wait isn't there an actual satire movie called scary movie yes i think there is Um, oh my god that's really funny isn't that hilarious because again this is like very satirical and it's poking fun at scary movies um but it was bought by dimension films and was retitled by the weinstein brothers just before the filming was completed to scream um 
The production itself faced a lot of censorship issues. Um, they wanted to rate it NC-17, so there was a lot of back and forth to try to get it down to an R rating. Um, and, like, you know, which, That's which funny, I thought was super like, interesting. I don't find it more, like, violent than Nightmare on Elm Street. No, not at all. And I think they actually did have to, like, dump, like they had to take some things out. Um I think a lot of it had to do with, like, people's facial expressions. But to your point, like, I don't think that this is more gory than Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, But there are also a lot of controversies or, like, issues that were faced, like, during filming, too. Um, Just, like, a lot of locals on the locations didn't want their their locations to be used for this film. They didn't want, like, that to be what their town was known for. That's funny. (laughs) Yeah, which is hilarious. Um, But overall, the film received really positive reviews um, and was a financial success. It earned $173 million, um, and it became the highest-grossing slasher film until the release of the 2018 version of Halloween. But if if you adjust for inflation, it's the highest-grossing slasher film of all time. See, in the 90s, we still have today money. Because sure I do, do forget that the 90s were, like, almost 30 years ago. <laughs> shut up, shut up, shut I up. I know, which means that <laughs> we are almost in our 30s. I don't want to talk about it. Um, I don't want to talk about it at all. Um, but, yeah, it's it's awesome. The score is amazing. The soundtrack is incredible. It's, like, cited as one of the most intriguing horror scores. Um, and it's earned kind of a cult status, which is awesome. Um, but it also, this movie really marks a transition in the genre because it cast already successful and significant actors, um, which allowed it to gain, like, it found a wider audience that way and also significantly increased female viewership for this film, which was cool. Yeah, the movie is very 90s in terms of, like, the style aesthetic and also the people that are in it are, like, classic 90s. Classic Like, 90s. teen actors. Yep. Skeet Ulrich. I mean, I mean, how can you not? What's not to love? The fact that he's a psycho killer, but other than that. Oh, that, but he's like a very like charismatic. Uh, He's so hot. He's so attractive. (laughs) Um, so we'll kind of jump into it a little bit, but like I mentioned, this movie has like a really amazing cast. A lot of people who are pretty prolific at the time such as our girl Courtney Cox, who was filming Friends at the time. So that was pretty interesting. Um, okay, so let's jump into the plot a little bit. So the movie starts with high school student Casey Becker, who's played by Drew Barrymore, um, receiving a flirty phone call from an unknown person, during which they discuss horror movies. However, the call turns sadistic, and he threatens her life. He reveals that her boyfriend, Steve Orth, is being held hostage on her patio and demands that she answer questions about horror films if she wants him to live. Um, I thought that we could quickly do the movie trivia of the oh my questions god. that he asked. Oh my god, yes. Okay, do you have All them? Right. I do. Well, wow, okay, I'm blindsided, but let's do this. <laughs> okay, that's the best part. It's like I'm holding your boyfriend hostage. <laughs> It's it's no fun if you have the answers. Okay, ready? Yeah. So the first question is, name the killer in Halloween. Michael Myers. Ugh. You got it right. All okay, right. Okay, so you're not killing my boyfriend. I'm not going to kill your boyfriend. But we'll see, because this is the one that Drew Barrymore gets wrong in the movie. Um, name the killer in Friday the 13th. Jason Voorhees' mom. Yes! Yeah, because Jason Voorhees isn't revealed as a killer until the second one. Yep. Yep, I remember. Because I was Nailed screaming it. at her when I was watching the movie. Don't do it! Like, but she's seen it 20 times, Sara! God, fucking Drew. Come on, man. Come on, girl. <laughs> Did you really watch it 20 times? I'm also like, her her behavior in this in this scene was... The scene is iconic and I'm obsessed with it, but her behavior was super questionable. <laughs> So questionable. My favorite thing though was I used to have a um, a coworker who had a t shirt of her screaming on it, <laughs> and he used to wear it on Mondays, and it was like a big mood. <laughs> Wait, I'm obsessed with that. Yeah, I think we all need that shirt. I love it. All right. Anyways, is there, is there other final, oh, yeah, yeah, final, final question? question. Let's what do door it. am I at? 
Oh no! Ah! <laughs> That's the part where we scream. <laughs> All right. So, what door was he at, though? Was he at the back door? He was at the back door. And she should have just logically put that together because that's literally where her boyfriend was, like, sitting on his on the chair, I think, right? Yeah, he was. She, but she but, wasn't, she was in a tough spot, I get it. But, you know. Her pop, her popcorn was she burning. She to make some popcorn and, you know, watch, watch a scary movie. So, like we mentioned, Casey unfortunately gets one question wrong. So, Steve is murdered in front of her. Um, super traumatic. When Casey refuses to answer more questions, she's murdered by a masked assailant. As her parents come home, this scene is so intense. And yeah, it's also really, like, I actually felt pretty bad for this. I mean, like, usually in, in these horror movies, I'm like, oh, the parents are dumb. But, like, those parents had, like, two minutes of screen time, and that mom, like, totally killed it. Like, she did a really good job. Yeah, she did a great job. Shout out to, to Drew Barrymore's mom in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it just it just was a really, like, realistic reaction, I think. Yeah, it was super, it's super intense. Um, And that scene ends with her corpse hanging from a tree. It's, like, very, I think, like, iconic and striking, the way that that's that scene is composed and it's just really terrifying again there's moments of humor um even from the beginning but I think this to me is kind of one of the more like chilling scenes I think the more like the climactic scene at the end while it does it it is scary it has like more of a camp and satirical feel than this opening scene all right, so the following day the news media descend on the town and a police investigation begins Meanwhile, we are introduced to Sydney Prescott, who's struggling with the impending first anniversary of her mother Maureen's murder by her lover Cotton Weary. While waiting at home for her friend Tatum Riley, who's played by Rose McGowan, Sydney receives a taunting phone call. I love um, Tatum, by the way. She's the best. She's absolutely such a ride or die, too. Oh, <laughs> In this movie, she, I love her. She's amazing. Um... After she hangs up, she's attacked by the killer, but she evades him. Sydney's boyfriend, Billy Loomis, Loomis, who's played by Ski Ulrich, arrives shortly after that, but he after he drops his cell phone, Sydney suspects him of making the call and flees. Billy's arrested, and Sydney spends the night at Tatum's house where she receives another ominous call. So the next day, Billy's released and suspicion. Suspicion shifts. Can't talk. Well, Billy's released because they found they like tracked the where the calls were coming well, from, exactly. and it wasn't his phone, and it wasn't right. from his phone. So it's tracked to Sydney's father, Neil, because the calls have been traced to his phone. And he's been out of town. He's been out of town. He was supposed to be on a business trip, but she's not able to reach him at his hotel. So like he hadn't like, checked in or something yeah, like that. It's yeah, like super sus. So, anyways. Meanwhile, school is suspended in the wake of the murders, and after all the students have left school, the killer stabs Principal Hambry to death in his office. Okay, this scene, though, so what's really funny is it was that moment where the principal went out because he heard something, and the janitor, like, looks up at him, and the janitor is dressed as Freddy. He looks like Freddy Krueger. He's so like, good. And then, it's and then so good. the janitor's like, what? And then, the, and then the principal's like, not you, Fred. And I was like, oh, my God. It's <laughs> so, so good. Like, like I said, just... so meta. Like, yeah, it's so meta. Like, so many homages, like, literally left and right in this movie. I love it. It's so funny. It's perfection. Yes, I'm so glad you called that out because I wasn't going to, but it is No, it's iconic. great. It's so it's iconic. iconic. Yeah. Um, so anyways, he's murdered. So Tatum's boyfriend, Stu, decides to throw a party to celebrate the school's closure. Um, the party's attended by a bunch of different students, including Sydney Tatum, their friend Randy, um, and then reporter Gail Weathers also attends uninvited to cover the situation because she expects the killer to strike again. Tatum's brother, Deputy Sheriff Dewey Riley, also is at the party looking out for the murderer and also just kind of looking to, like, look out for his sister and her friend. Um, he's, like, so funny in this Yeah, Deputy part. Dewey is hilarious. <laughs> he's, he's, like, so such, a, such a little goober. He is totally a goober. <laughs> so, the killer corner... So, basically, they're, like, watching, like, they're trying to watch a scary movie because that's kind of the theme of this. Um... 
Tatum goes to the garage to get more beers. Meanwhile, the killer corners her in the garage and murders Tatum by crushing her neck in the garage Yeah, door. that scene was in- intense, for sure. It's super intense. Yeah, it's- that scene was when she crushed the neck was, like, wild. I knew as soon as she went into that garage, I was like, she's about to die. <laughs> I was like, she's gonna die. She has to. She has to! Um, it's awful. So, meanwhile, the partygoers are watching... What movie are they watching, Sarah? They're watching... Oh, my God. They're... Uh... Are they watching Halloween? Yeah. Yeah, they're watching Halloween. They're watching Halloween, where Randy professes the rules to abide by in order to survive a horror movie. It's so good. It's perfect. It's, again, super meta. Like, we talked about the tropes of a slasher film... Um, and, and like the things that, you know, keep you safe. <laughs> um, so the first that he mentions is that you can never have sex. He says that sex equals death. Yep. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, you, you can never drink or do drugs and you can never, ever say that you'll be right back. Yeah. That was, the, that was my favorite <laughs> one. And I'm going to look out for that in the rest of the movies that we watch and see if it happens. Yes. It's like a person leaves a room not necessarily says I'll be right back, but if they, like, leave the room or something and see if they're, like, if something's going to happen to them. I'm like, oh, yeah, God, that's so funny. So while this incredible moment is going down, Billy <laughs> arrives at the house to speak to Sydney privately, and the two have sex. So Yeah. Yep. They sure yeah. do. There Great foreshadowing there. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, the way that the scene is cut is, like, literally perfect. Yeah, it's um, so good. I don't want to spoil it if you haven't seen it, but, like, literally watch it immediately. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. And if you haven't seen it, though, maybe just stop listening to this episode yeah. because we're going to spoil it, so. Well, yeah. That's what you came here for, right? <laughs> you knew this was coming. You did. You didn't. Now's your chance. Go watch it. <laughs> um. Meanwhile, Dewey, who's Tatum's brother, who's, like, the sheriff guy, and Gail, who's the, like, news reporter, investigate a report of a of an abandoned car nearby. Many party attendees are drawn away after hearing news of the principal Hembree's death, leaving only Sydney, Billy, Randy, Stu, and Gail's cameraman Kenny, like in close proximity. So after having sex, Sydney and Bill are confronted by the killer who attacks Billy and like injures him or like kills him. Um, Sydney narrowly escapes from the house and seeks help from Kenny, um, but the killer slashes Kenny's throat. This seems like so, this, this part's pretty intense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He really does. He really does. Yeah. Get Kenny. Rip. Yeah. Poor, R. poor R. Kenny. RIP <laughs> to Kenny. Um, so Gail and Dewey, who are out looking for that abandoned car, discovered that the abandoned car belongs to Neil Prescott, Tatum, or, uh, Sydney's dad, um, and make their way back. Gail tries to escape in her van, um, because at this point the killer is, like, outside, um, but she, like, drives off the road in order to avoid hitting Sydney and crashes the van. Meanwhile, there's so many meanwhiles because there's just a lot going on. This seems very chaotic. (laughs) Yeah, there is a lot going on. It's great. And it actually, like, when you're watching the movie, though, you, it flows really well. Like, you don't feel like there's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot choppier with me describing all the. No, I mean, it's, you have to get it, but you have to, like, get it all in. Because, like, every detail from one scene to another, like, they kind of correspond. Like, it you does. need everything, yeah. Yeah, so, meanwhile, Dewey is stabbed in the back while investigating the house, and Sydney ends up taking his gun for protection. Stu and Randy appear and accuse each other of being the killer. So, Sydney, still with the gun, retreats into the house where she finds Billy wounded but still alive. So, since that's, like, her boyfriend, she gives him the gun before he lets Randy into the house and then shoots him. Billy reveals that he feigned his injuries and is actually the killer, with Stu shortly outing himself as the accomplice. Which, again, it's pretty crazy because throughout the whole film, they've kind of been, like, joking about it and, like, um, you know, there have been other times where they have been accused but have kind of, like, managed to, like, you know remove suspicion off of them so again it's like i'm not gonna lie like up until this point for a couple of like 17 year olds this is like a pretty solid plan like they actually thought this one out pretty well no they did yeah 
the scene the scene where you realize that Billy is the killer and he's like licking the like corn syrup off. It's yeah, an it's, iconic photo. Like it's that so it's like good. such an iconic scene. It's so good. It's so good. I yeah, I love it. I love that reveal. That's a really good plot twist if you haven't it's, seen the movie. For, this like the whole thing. ending is like literally perfect. Cause again, it's it's poking fun at the genre, but I think it also does what a lot of these films don't quite do, which is like provide like a comp like I think there's a lot of meandering plot lines in some of the other ones that don't really end up tying up at the end. And this one I think does a really good job of kind of taking all of these little things that have been hinted at or all these different characters and like really bringing them into this pretty amazing finale. Well, I think, finish. and you know, you might, you might be getting to this, but I think like how you described the movie as like a slasher slash whodunit kind of film is a really good way to describe this because in other slasher films, like you know who the killer is right yeah, away. Like that's true. the whole point is that you know like Michael Myers, you know like it's Freddy Krueger, like you figure it out, like it's not a question. But the whole point of the movie and like part of the plot of the movie is like who is Ghostface? Like it's a masked person that you don't know. So it is kind of like a it's a murder mystery really. And I think that's a really good way to describe it and something that you don't, like, this is the first time we're seeing that really in slasher movies. Yeah, no, that's so true. Um, anyways, so Bill and Stu discuss their plan to kill Sydney and how they plan to pin the murder spree on her father, whom they've taken hostage. Um, they also reveal that they murdered her mother and framed Cotton for it um, because, and here's finally the motive, um her mom was having an affair with Billy's father, which ended up driving away his mother. Um, So he has, like, pretty serious abandonment issues. Again, he kind of pokes fun at it, like, that it's the reason for his psychosis. But um, it's also the murder He also quotes Psycho. He quotes Norman Bates. So it's, like, a direct, like, reference to Psycho. I mean, his last name is Loomis as well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Good old Sam. (laughs) Good old Sam. Yeah, it's super meta. Really, really interesting. Yeah. It's amazing. So Gail, who actually survived the car crash, intervenes, and Sydney takes advantage of this to turn the tables on her attacker. She knocks out Billy with an umbrella and drops a television set on Stu's head, killing him. Billy then awakens and attacks Sydney, but Gail shoots him. Randy is revealed to be wounded but alive, and then remarks that the killer always resurfaces for one last scare. Sydney takes the gun and shoots Billy in the head, killing him for good. As the sun rises and police arrive, Dewey, badly injured, is taken away by the ambulance, and Gail makes an impromptu news report about the night's events. And that is the end. I will say the final <laughs> scene of this movie where Billy and Stu and Sydney are like, it's just the three of them, and they're having kind of like everything is being revealed in the kitchen is one of the best, like, it is, that acting is, for three teenagers, really good. Like, they are so good. It's, like, 1,000 out of 10. This scene is perfection. Yeah, it's so good. And just, like, the intensity is so striking. And, like, when Stu and Billy are stabbing each other, I mean, it's just, like, everything about it is is so great. Yeah. It's just so good. So good. Everything, I love this movie. It's it's wonderful. (laughs) Now I just want to watch it again. I know, me too. (laughs) I think it might be one of my favorite Halloween movies. I think it might be one of mine too. Um, yeah, it it is. It's definitely up there for me. I actually like this more than like like I like I enjoy watching like Friday the Thirteenth or sorry, keep saying that Nightmare on Elm Street. But I don't think I would just like like pop that on for like you know fun movie like a spooky movie with friends. It's like pretty intense. Like that movie's pretty it is intense. pretty intense. Yeah, and again, the ending leaves you like feeling what weird the fuck? and like I, I like halloween is a good one for that too but you kind of, i feel like you have to be with the right crowd because it's kind of slower so it's more of like a film like cinephile like film buff movie whereas like i think this one literally anybody could love this movie yeah there's just so many things to connect with in this movie it's it's so good so let's talk a little bit about the real life crime that inspired this i would love nothing more <laughs> oh my god me too so let's talk about it. So the crime that inspired the writing of this film was the murders of the Gainesville Ripper. Oh. Which I don't know if you're familiar with yeah. the story, but basically in August of 1990, um, um, a man named Daniel Harold Rowling um, 
he murdered five students over the course of two days during a burglary and robbery spree in Gainesville, Florida. He mutilated his victims' bodies, he decapitated one of them, and then he posed them sometimes using mirrors. Mm. Gross. Yeah, it's super <laughs> disturbing. Yeah. Um, so, what's interesting about this crime is that Louisiana police alerted Florida authorities to an unsolved triple, triple murder that had happened in 1989, so the year prior, um, because the detectives noted that there were some similarities between the murders um, in both states. So investigators did some additional analysis and discovered that the blood type of the perpetrator was a match between the two crimes. Yeah, but they had a couple, like, suspects, but nothing, like, definitive. Um, But what's interesting is that it was actually just, like, a random person who reported this guy. So a Shreveport resident named Sydney Drakchik, I don't know how to say that name, um, she called Crime Stoppers, which is like the most oh my like God. 80s thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> and she reported that Danny Rowling was possibly connected to the murders in both cities. So three months earlier, she had heard a news report about a string of murders as she traveled through the, the Florida panhandle. And that report made her think of this guy, Danny Rowling, who she had met at her hometown church in Louisiana. That is so random. Yeah. While he had, like, come over for dinner a couple times, and while he was over, he had said some really disturbing statements um, to her and her then-husband, Dobbin. Dobbin told her that... Dobbin? (laughs) Dobbin. Yeah. Stephen Dobbin. Oh, (laughs) sorry. Dobbin was his first... (laughs) You know, Dobbin. (laughs) Oh, my God. What name is that? Okay, sorry. It's a family name, sorry. Anyways. Anyway, Stephen Dobbin. Stephen Dobbin. My okay. apologies. That's okay. Um, no, that was my bad. <laughs> no. No, you're bad at all. That was 100% my bad. Um, anyways, Dobbin had told her that Rowling had a problem. Um, wait, no. Dobbin told her that Rowling had told him. So basically, Rowling was like, I have a problem. And this guy, Dobbin, is like, what kind of problem? And apparently, Rowling said... I like to stick knives into people. Oh. You know, (laughs) casual dinner conversation. That's a really interesting way to put murder. Yeah. Like, put stabbing. Yeah. Like, that's that's a very interesting, like, circumlocution way of describing. It's like, it's like how you would explain, like, describe when someone who maybe doesn't know how to speak English is trying to describe the word stabbing but doesn't know how. (laughs) You're like, you know, when you, like, stick knives into people. When you stick knives into people. (laughs) Yes. That's amazing. It's, like, very disturbing. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah. At the time, she, like, kind of dismisses this. Because, again, I think, like, the way that it's framed is, like, very weird and, like, unsettling. And you're just kind of like, whatever, that's, like, a weird comment. But, like, what are the chances he's actually a murderer? But then she was thinking back on it. And he had also told her that one day I'm going to leave this town and I'm going to go somewhere where the girls are beautiful and I can just lay in the sun and watch beautiful women all day. So I think he definitely had some, like... There's some weird things that he said and, like, clearly a fixation on women. What would you do if somebody said that to you? Like, if somebody was like, I like, I have an issue, and my issue is I like to stab people. Yeah, I mean, I think it is, like, a weird situation to be in because it's like, you're like, are they kidding? Like, what are, you know what I mean? What are the chances that they're actually serious? And, like, when do you actually take it to the police? But luckily, she took it to the police. She literally couldn't stop thinking about it. Listen Um, to her gut. Yeah, listen to your gut. You gotta, you gotta do it, Cindy. And so she decided to call Crime Stoppers. And when she called them, she said, "I think there's a guy y'all need to investigate, Danny Rawling." Yeah. Wow. Good for her. Yeah, she's so, a hero. I know. Well, and I think what's interesting too, because if you listen to a lot of true crime, I feel like this does happen sometimes, and it even happened with like um, Ted Bundy. Where his, like, girlfriend at the time, I think, like, reported him and it was, like, this is super weird, but, like, and, and, like, nobody looked into it. But investigators actually responded to this tip and began an investigation, which quickly found that he had been arrested, like, at a similar time for a robbery. Um, The robbery had been committed 10 days after um, the, like, the murders had been done. Um, and then he also, it was found that he had done like another robbery during like the Gainesville murders as well. So 
They also, like, conclusively show that he had, like, the same blood type as the perpetrator's blood that was found at the crime scene. Um, and so, yeah, it was just, it was super interesting. They then found, like, now that they had this evidence, they returned to that original evidence locker for these robberies, um, where there was a gun, screwdriver, a bag of money, and a cassette player. And when they listened to the tape, they found that, you know, there were some, like, audio diaries that he made that had alluded to the crime oh my god so it's like pretty crazy that so, must be so creepy to be like ugh. listening to those tapes oh my god yeah 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 no, it's you. super creepy because they found all these tools um like he had been living in like a wooded area and like a one-man camp so he was kind of like trying to get off the grid and when they found all these things so it's that's creepy. pretty creepy oh my so god. it's interesting because it's not actually as related to the murders in scream as I thought it would be but I think it was just like the murder spree and um like some kind of the disturbing nature of it yeah so let's talk a little bit about the controversies I've also been dying to hear about this because I didn't know there could be controversy I mean it would make sense because it's a slasher movie but it's literally so perfect so what what's the controversy so the controversies are that in the years following the release of this film, um, it's been accused of inspiring copycat crimes and inspiring violent acts. I, I could definitely see that being a thing. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting when I watched this movie is there's a quote during the film. Um, I can't remember who says it, if it's Billy or um, the other guy, but they say movies don't make psychos, they just make them more creative. So I was oh, like... Oh, yeah. Yeah. It wow. kind of is like interesting in that way um again I think that like I know growing up my mom felt very strongly about stuff like this like in my school like you weren't allowed to dress in like stream costumes or anything like that and I think that there was a sentiment to like around this and then like violent video games that if you indulge in films like this like you're going to inspire people to commit like bad acts or desensitize them to like the gravity of these crimes which I think it's interesting now because I think things have actually gotten a lot more violent and gory, and I don't know that that's true, but... Um. I, yeah, that's that, that's true, and I think that that is a really common debate, right? Like, in, in terms of um, what is appropriate to show on television or in video games, especially things that are kind of disturbing disturbing yeah. but things that are marketed towards a younger audience that are a little bit more susceptible and and malleable to these kinds of ideas and I, I I also remember that being a huge issue when I was young and when I was in high school masks weren't were not allowed for Halloween and so that was um that was definitely something that that I think we were everybody was kind of aware of but like it, it makes sense because it did it did garner such a cult following in terms of how popular the movie is, that you could definitely see how that would be a thing and somebody could, like, actually, you know, you watch these movies and think they're cool and then the wrong mind could definitely take it a little bit too far. But I, that's, yeah, I mean, it does, it's interesting that a movie, like, these movies, like, slasher movies, are aimed for teenagers to watch. I mean, they are aimed for a younger audience, which is kind of fascinating because it is, it is like a, generation that's starting to become desensitized and like look at us like we like the amount of true crime that we all like our generation is obsessed with has really taken taken off I think no 100 percent um so yeah there are definitely a few like and I think the reason why again that it it got this drop is because people were directly pulling from the film yeah Um, like they would wear like a ghost face costume they would so the first like instance of this was in January of 1988 so two years after the film was released um a 16 year old and a 14 year old stabbed like one of their moms to death they killed her like 45 times they stabbed her which is like oh my god it's like overkill I mean that's pretty insane um the case became known as the scream murder and it obviously it fell under intense media scrutiny because the boys claimed that they were inspired by scream and scream 2 um yeah, they, like, purchased two ghost face costumes, and they even got, like, the voice changer used by the characters in the film. Um, during the trial, a psychologist who studied the effect of violence on children stated there were a whole bunch of reasons why they acted out that way, but did the movie provide a blueprint? Absolutely. So, like, this is what's happening. The judge ended up, like, barring, like, any content, like, 
pertaining to Scream and said that it couldn't be referred to as the Scream murder, but this was this case was really expected to highlight the effect of violent film on teenagers, and I think he was kind of trying to mitigate that a little bit. Um, and he, like, refused media access to the courtroom. Um, so, which is kind of interesting. Um, and then in January of 1999, 13-year-old Ashley Murray was stabbed multiple times in the head and back before being left for dead by friends Daniel Gill and Robert Fuller, 14 and 15. Um, they were dubbed the Scream Attackers after it emerged that they had watched Scream shortly before the attack and were drawing on the ghost face. They wore, like, the ghost face mask. Um, it's really interesting because it's kind of, like, it makes you think, like, okay, why didn't, like, Psycho or Halloween or, I mean, I mean Nightmare on Elm Street's a little different because it's a little bit more supernatural and, right. you know. It, no, exactly. I think but it's interesting because, again, like, this why is... why this one? Yeah, because, again, this is a satirical film, but I think maybe it's just the availability of it as a costume. Like, it's such a simple and prolific costume that you could find anywhere. Um, yeah, it's, it is interesting because you don't see that with... And I think the difference is that, like, there was something a little bit more, a little bit less removed about Billy and Stu than there is about Michael Myers or Freddy Krueger. Like, Michael Myers is an adult. He is a mental patient. Like, he has his these issues. He's totally removed from the main group of people. And, like, obviously Freddy Krueger is, like, a spirit, supernatural, like, nightmare ghost guy that's doing this. But, like, Billy and Stu are literally... Like, it's literally Sydney's boyfriend. Like, you don't know. Like, well, it's people that I, are in the inner circle already. Yeah, again, I think the killers are... To your point, like, the killers are relatable and they're even, like attractive and charismatic like I think that there's something that you get with these two killers you just don't get with other with other like you know famous yeah like they're, the they're literally like people next door like they're the they are the teens like they're not the adults in the movie I mean they're the teenagers that are part of the the group that are unmasked as the killers and and have a motive that you're like oh that's actually not that that it's validating but you're like okay that's a believable reason to be upset yeah you You have a clear motive and I think what's interesting too is like when you watch the scream films each time that Ghostface comes back it's a different person who then kind of takes up um like I don't know it's the can't it takes up the candles all the right phrase the mantle of the candle <laughs> what am I talking about but no you're so right like it, it is so definitely I think yeah. it's it just shows again it's like such a mutable thing like it's not just one person it's kind of this like whatever it is that your pain and anguish is you can like put behind this like kind of nameless mask and right then, like, like that's the thing is we don't as a society like when we think of these cultural like figures from slasher movies like you know we don't we don't say, like, Billy Loomis. Like, that's not the name that we th- we say. Like, we say Ghostface. Like, Ghostface is the is the cultural, you know, iconic moment of this movie that has been kind of, like, embedded in the Halloween lexicon, as you said. And, and that, I think that's the thing about it is that it's not... It's not about Billy. It's not about Stu. It's about Ghostface. And Ghostface could... could the point is that it could be anybody. Literally, Ghostface. Truly. Truly. Um, I think the final one that's important to know is that after, so in 1999, following the Columbine High School massacre, there was like an increasing focus on the effects of violent films, games, and other media. Um, And so this film was actually part of the committee that was like focused on exploring this um, because they're really looking at like how are we marketing these films to youth and like what is the effect of this? So they actually use the opening scene as part of their like <laughs> example of what negative media can be viewed by children. So I thought that was like really interesting. And I think again, this is like to me, I think why slasher films, at least growing up, had such a bad rap and like my mom wouldn't wouldn't let me watch these. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't allowed to watch horror movies when I was when I was a kid. I act I like recently got into them. Yeah. For sure. As so well. I just think it's really interesting. interesting. I just, I think it's so funny. Like the marketing of this movie was like definitely like they marketed it as like Drew Barrymore was the star of the movie. (laughs) Well, she was supposed to be. She was supposed to be Sydney. And then she had like a filming conflict or something. But then like how funny because it created like such an iconic slasher trope. Well, it did. And what's cool too is I think 
it's crazy that the most famous star gets killed off in like the first few yeah minutes. yeah and you see that come up in other movies like not only slasher movies but other things like they do that and that's totally like for it's funny like I feel like it was so unintentional for a movie that's satirizing slasher tropes they actually created one too no they they totally did and I um, love it and it's a really good one like it's such a good it's such a great way to start a movie because it you're watching it and drew barrymore's already like super famous in this t- at this time and you're like oh this is gonna be drew barrymore and then she gets killed in the first like seven minutes of the well, movie <laughs> you're like, Wait i mean a it minute. kind of it kind of feels a little bit like um psycho with yeah old janet lee like yeah. it's that kind of vibe you're like but Wait, it's no, so fast it's so much faster like they don't even let you think that oh, the movie no. is about Jan- is like no, in psycho they kind of let you think that the movie's about janet lee and then they abruptly take her out of the movie and that leaves you really like freaked out because you're like oh my god what's like what's gonna be this the plot of this movie this one is just like oh shit like here we go (laughs) it's so funny and then you're like oh this isn't really about Drew Barrymore at all she's dead (laughs) and it turns out she wasn't even like it wasn't even someone that was friends with the main character too like it wasn't really an important they're kind of unrelated yeah super unrelated um it's it's really interesting and yeah I I don't know I just I think I just love it you can just we refer to that happening like when that happens in other movies we're like oh that person got Drew Barrymore (laughs) I love it 100 percent it's so funny (laughs) it's so good anyways so overall this film is legendary oh my god it's so good it's iconic it's self-referential like I just think that it's such a fun like meta movie that's just so self-aware and again like it's making fun of all the tropes in these slasher films, it's also creating its own tropes. It's just there's so many like fun pop culture references too. Oh yeah, the the um, soundtrack is really good too, and the score it's so and the soundtrack good. is wonderful. Do you I, watch um, Peaky Blinders? I do. Did you recognize the song? <laughs> oh my god! Yes, Red Right Hand in this movie, and like oh all my god, I could think they about absolutely was, did. Yeah, all I, I totally could think about was the intro to Peaky Blinders. I totally didn't even put that together until you put it in fucking blinders <laughs> had to be done by order of pinky blinders <laughs> that was a horrible british accent i'm so sorry you make a good arthur it's fine <laughs> um well i am, I am a ginger that's <laughs> we, we do have that in common i think one thing that i want to like just kind of touch on because we've mentioned it in in halloween and in, and in nightmare on elm street and i think it's kind of oh an interesting what they when they take this in this movie to a new level is the the slasher concept being about like the the a metaphor for like the anguish and anger of teenagers and like the hopelessness and isolation of teenagers and i think it was kind of a brilliant way to describe that is by making the killer one of the teenagers it's like okay not only do these teenagers feel so isolated and they're put in these situations where they feel so alone but like what happens when one is pushed to the brink because of that and feels like there's no other hope but to, you know, quote unquote, like when he was quoting Psycho, you go a little mad sometimes. And we kind of see like, okay, that's the cry for help is is done. Like it, the damage is done and this is where we're at and this is where this generation is at. And it was a little bit of a foreshadow. I mean, like you said, like a lot of, you know, a lot of young people started being a little bit more violent and generations started being a little bit more desensitized. And I think that this movie does an interesting thing and it takes that idea that like the teenagers are the good, the good guys are the people that get killed and they're, it's like them versus this other or them versus the adults or things like that. But this one is like, no, they are, they are the good guys. Some of them, but some of them also felt so alone and angry that they became the bad guy and I think that's a really, I just found that like a really interesting way to to look at that that kind of concept that we've been seeing in these movies. And I think we see that in The Craft and in um, I Know What You Did Last Summer, which are the two movies we're going to be discussing next week as well. I'm so excited. I mean, this whole lineup has just been so fun. So Honestly, fire. not to toot our own horn, but like we did really well. <laughs> also, I don't think we really understood like the genius of how we queued it up until we were actually like in it. So. No, and then how we're going through it um, chronologically, it makes it so, like, all the better. And I think it's going to make it for, for both us and our listeners, like, the the big bang at the end when we finish with the Fear Street trilogy, which just wraps every, like, the slasher genre up in such a beautiful bow. And it's just, like, 
everything that you could ever want in every slasher movie is like in Fear Street. <laughs> it's just I'm my favorite movie ever, and so I love excited. it. Favorite three I'm, movies. I'm like I've been watching them slowly in preparation, and it's just oh God, so they're fun. so they're so good. I love them. It's cool to see like the evolution of the mm. slasher film too. Yeah. Like you know, and the influence that past slasher films have on the ones exactly. that we're watching as we go forward too. And it'll be interesting to see like when we get out of the next two movies are still in the 90s which is such a you know renaissance of slasher i think it kind of had after nightmare on elm street there was a lull and then in the 90s with this like satirical version of it an extra camp version like we see more coming through and then when we get into the late 2000s which we're gonna um cover after that and we'll move into the 2000s we see like a different type of horror which is really interesting and kind of a more like psychological um like thriller horror but like a little bit more dark and independent which i which i find um really really fun as well it's just it's different but it's really interesting so i'm excited to talk about those and see the influences of this these movies on those too i can't wait it's gonna be so fun this is my favorite month ever so it's the best month (laughs) spooky season spooky season well, um, join us next week when we discuss The Craft and I Know What You Did Last Summer. Two other 90s icons of movies. Yes. I, I love both of them. Uh, the 90s are just so yeah. fun. I love they the really 90s. Are. And we have some really yummy cocktails next week. I think they're going to be better than today's. <laughs> yeah, today was not my favorite. But, you know, yeah. again. we got to try it. got to try it. An easy autumnal situation. If you need um, something light for like a easy breezy evening this is not a bad one yeah not the worst but also not the best (laughs) not the best (laughs) but in the meantime since i said that 1000 times this episode um make sure you follow us on instagram you can find us at hitchcock happy hour and if you enjoy this podcast please rate review and subscribe we'd love to get your feedback and you know we love you guys. Thanks we love you guys, it. and we thank you so much for your support. We do this because we have a lot of fun, but it's nice to see the engagement and, and know that, that you guys are also having fun with it. So if you want to leave us a comment, drop us a line, tell us what you think, tell us if you think we should add anything, we, we, we definitely take suggestions. Um, if you have any cocktail suggestions you want to hear us get drunk on, yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely no more send, zombies, send them our though. way. <laughs> Yeah, no more zombies, please. But until then, please definitely go on our Instagram. Um, we post fun content there and, and upcoming episodes and, and kind of our lineups and things like that and cocktail recipes and stuff. So check that out. But in the meantime, until next week. Cheers. Cheers.